From Boca Raton, Florida, this is Behind the Bima. On this episode, the rabbis are joined by Elliot Steinmetz, head coach of the Yeshiva University Maccabees, and one of the team's stars, Ryan Terrell. Elliot and Ryan discuss how Judaism informs and impacts their basketball roles, talk about some of the challenges the team faces on and off the court, share how they see Hashem's hand in their lives, and explain how they use their positions to try to help others in the Jewish community. Also, breaking down the difference between Kiddush Hashem and Jewish pride. And Rabbi Brody sets the record straight on a classic Yeshiva League basketball game. All this and more, Behind the Bima. Good evening. It is Wednesday night, 9 p.m. I'm Rabbi Ephraim Goldberg, joined by my dear friends Rabbi Philip Moskowitz and Rabbi Josh Brody. And we're here to take you... Behind the Bima. Behind the Bima. Not sure what that was about there, Rabbi Brody, but we are here to go (laughs) behind the Bima. We got a super exciting episode tonight. Some very, very high-profile guests. Very exciting. On the eve of their biggest game of the year. We'll talk about why it's their biggest game of the year. But the coach of the YU Max Elliott Steinmetz and a star player, someone who people say is the best player in all Division Three, could have played Division One, And that is Ryan Terrell. Very excited to welcome them on shortly. But first, we always begin with an attitude of gratitude. A big thank you to our sponsors. Sponsored this week by the law firm of Sachs Sachs Kaplan, very prominent, beautiful law firm in our community, and a law firm we're very uh, closely connected with and very proud of. First of all, they do real estate closings, litigation, condo, HOA law, and uh, our own Dan Caskell, our first vice president among Florida's few double board certified attorneys, is a prominent wow. lead member of Sachs Sachs Kaplan, and their latest attorney to join them. Where's the breaking latest- news? This is breaking news. The latest attorney to join our sponsor, Sachs Sachs Kaplan, which I'm a mazel tov tonight, is a voice our listeners should recognize because he is the opening voice of the podcast. The very one and only, my beloved brother-in-law, Binyamin Michelle. Big mazel tov shout out to Binyamin on his uh, joining that prestigious law firm, being recruited and uh, bringing his talents closer to home here in Boca to that great law firm. So thanks, Dan Caskell. Wow. Thanks, Benjamin. Thanks, Sachs Sachs Kaplan for sponsoring. I hope he's not too busy for the show now. A little worried, you know, to yeah. being recruited, top guy in a law firm. Top guy. Rem- that's what happens. You go from behind the beam to becoming recruited. Right. <laughs> so that's exactly it. We hope he remembers the little guys. Gentlemen, rabbis, how are you? How is your week? How are you feeling? I'm feeling great. First of all, we have to show Hakara Satov gratitude to another group of people as well. That is the Balabatim. A, a wonderful podcast, Twitter handle, who uh, we're very excited about tonight's guests. Avid, avid Maccabees fans. And those, I didn't realize they had such crazy sports fans out there, but they're out there. And so a big yeah. shout out to the Balabatim and thank them for uh, for all of their help in uh, putting this interview together as well. Absolutely. Thank you. And thank you to Schoenfeld, our dear friend, who we're so proud made Aliyah for that connection. Excited to welcome them on. We said this is their biggest game of the year, and it is. They have a 50-game winning streak. That's a big streak. It is the top college basketball streak, something noted by NBA, ESPN, and many others. And tomorrow night, Thursday night, 8 p.m., I don't know where you'll be, but if you're not in the base medrash, then you'll want to watch. They are facing, uh, I think, their first Division Three top 25 opponent, and that is the number four-ranked Illinois Wesleyan University, who will be coming to New York City for this showdown, number four versus number one their toughest opponent yet in this 50-game win streak, perhaps the biggest test that they will have so far. And on the eve of that big game, they're joining us here behind the Bima. 
I don't know. Rumor has it. They were excited about ESPN, NBA. They've been excited about all the national coverage, but they're most nervous, most excited about coming behind the Bima. That is amazing. For good reason. For good reason. Listen, here's the the question. Here's the question I want to pose to both of you Uh, about the YU Max team. You could say it about, you know, a big uh, ice skater from New Jersey is going to be competing in the Olympics. You could say it about uh, getting recruited to baseball. You could say it about Israel had a singer who won Eurovision several years ago. When is something a Kiddush Hashem and when is it Jewish pride? We use that term Kiddush Hashem fairly loosely, a sanctification of God's name. When a Jew is proudly Jewish and successful, often people will react and say, what a Kiddush Hashem. I was in Israel several years ago and Israel's singer in this European singing competition, I think it's called Euro Eurovision. Is that what it's called? Eurovision. Yeah, Eurovision. Yeah. Israel won. And I'm not saying anything disparaging, negative about the singer. I don't know anything about her, but I will just say from the little that I know about her, um, I don't know that it was a Kiddush Hashem. I, I ran into somebody in Israel, a prominent person in Israel said, can you believe it? What a Kiddush Hashem. Israel won Eurovision. And I said, that's Jewish pride, maybe. Israel national pride. Is it a Kiddush Hashem? Given her life, her lifestyle, who she is, does breaking through in the public arena automatically equate to a Kiddush Hashem. So that's something that's on my mind today with this interview and these individuals. And, you know, when is something defined as Jewish pride or Israel pride? And when is it defined as Kiddush Hashem? Thoughts? I think it's a great time. I think it's a great a point. And we conflate the two, right? You call everything a Kiddush Hashem, as you pointed out, but not everything has to be a Kiddush Hashem. Something cannot qualify or not be termed as a Kiddush Hashem and still be termed Jewish pride. We could have enormous Jewish pride that athletes are breaking through, that they're reaching the pinnacle of their sports, that we're competing on the world stage, that we're representing Israel, representing Jews. All of that is Jewish pride, and it's an amazing thing. It's, in fact, in many respects, unprecedented. And it's something we should be very proud of, especially when they represent Israel, when they represent Jewish pride, when they defend Judaism against anti-Semitism, like our guests tonight have done. But that doesn't mean everything has to be Kiddush Hashem. And I think you minimize the word Kiddush Hashem when you overuse it. So I agree with you, and I think we should be careful about using the term Kiddush Hashem, but we should be enormously proud of what they do in terms of representing the Jewish people, representing Israel on a world stage. I agree. And I, just one cor- we already have a correction. Our lawyer is not too busy to already be correcting. <laughs> it's the ball habatim. You get it? Not ball the ball habatim. habatim. Oh, okay. It's right, the relax. ball as in basketball. Football, right, baseball. That, I just, ball, I just gave away my sense of humor right there. There you go. <laughs> Rabbi Brody, thoughts? Kiddush Hashem versus Israel or Jewish pride? I love it. And you know me, I love everything that, you know, as soon as Jews or Israelis or someone makes the news, I get all excited because unfortunately, sometimes we're making the news for things that you're not so proud of. But when it's something positive, why not? Just go all in. But when you take whatever you're doing, you know, you might be doing it every day. You might be doing it for, for a career. It might be for a season. And you do something where it all of a sudden just elevates it. It just takes it to like a whole new level. And you say, wow, they had the choice to maybe sit back and, and stay quiet. But all of a sudden they took that platform that they're standing on to do something, like you said, to promote Judaism, to defend Israel or do something like that. Then all of a sudden that's like, okay, now you're Kiddush Hashem. That was awesome. That was awesome. Well, I'll tell you know, another the- example. Let me just take it to the next level because sure. I read an article today that in Germany, they started a new program, which again, we could debate whether it's an ultimately a good thing or not a good thing, but it's called Meet a Jew. And basically they bring Jews into classrooms, public schools. And mm. the whole idea is that it's very easy to dislike someone if you've never met them before, if you have never don't have a relationship with them anymore. So if you bring the, a Jew into a classroom 
and they can dialogue, they can get to know each other, they can realize that you're a teenager just like I'm a teenager, it changes the equation altogether. And, and immediately when you ask that question about the benefits of Jewish pride, I think that's exactly it. I think the more that we show the normalcy of certainly modern orthodoxy, the ability to both be maintain that loyalty to your religion and compete on a national level, I think that's that meet a Jew phenomenon, right? In other words, it puts Jews out there in a positive light so that people who live in Montana, Indiana, or Germany who might never have met a Jew now have someone to look at and say, okay, they're normal. They're a human being just like I am. They might think differently or believe different things than I am, but there's a level of respect there that you can build upon. Well, put a little bit differently, and I think this is your point, there's there's enormous value to Jewish pride, even if it doesn't rise to the level of Kiddush Hashem. Meaning, we shouldn't feel that if it's not a Kiddush Hashem, Jewish pride has no value. There's value to Jewish pride, to advancing the Jewish cause, the Jewish position, the Jewish presence, respect for the Jewish people. There's a lot of value to that, and we shouldn't dilute or distort or compromise the significance of the term Kiddush Hashem to apply it to things that aren't. That doesn't mean it has no value or we shouldn't be proud of it. It just means it deserves a different name, not the same name. And I'm not talking right now about the Max and about the basketball team. For me, the jury's out and I'm excited for this conversation. And afterwards, to share thoughts based on the conversation, is it Kiddush Hashem or just Jewish pride? What is it? I'm just saying in general, when Jews succeed at something, doesn't automatically equate with Kiddush Hashem. It could be Jewish pride, which is a value in its own right. So let me ask you both this. What then is the definition of Kiddush Hashem? How would you differentiate between a Kiddush Hashem and Jewish pride? Rabbi Brody, take this one first. I'll go first. I mean, again, I think Kiddush Hashem is where you really do something which maybe wasn't expected, but then all of a sudden, a lot of people, the people all around you, could be all around the world, all of a sudden understand that there's a great God up there that you just magnified and you just, you know, blew him out of the water. And everyone's like, wow, that's something I want to be part of. But I'm going to be what, counterintuitive right now. I don't think Kiddush Hashem is the way we define it. You know, we we associate Kiddush Hashem when you're getting off the bus to go to a museum in, in elementary school and the teacher says, now everyone remember you're wearing yarmulkes and skirts, so you have to make a Kiddush Hashem. I don't believe that's a definition. I think arguably the greatest demonstration of Kiddush Hashem happened at a time in history when no one saw it. And that was Avram Avinu on Haram when he went to sacrifice his son. And Hashem says, you've now sanctified my name. So I don't think Kiddush Hashem has to be in the public eye. I think that's a misnomer. I think you could be sitting alone in your house and withhold yourself from doing something or refrain from sinning or doing the right thing. And if there's no one looking, it could still be a Kiddush Hashem. Kiddush Hashem simply means I'm bringing God into this world. I've created an element of holiness in a vacuum where it currently wasn't. So I think we are very quick to use Kiddush Hashem to limit it to a public sphere, but I don't think it has to be limited like that at all. I, I agree, and I, I'll I'll raise one more question before we bring on our amazing guests and and get this conversation, which we have such a great audience here started. First of all, shout out to Ethan Lasco, graduate of Yeshiva High School, who's on this great team. Just got a text from my buddy Sam Lasco. Hope he's well. Um, I'll, I'll raise I'll raise one other point about this, which is someone texted me today in anticipation of the show and this conversation, and they said, in our community, and I'm not going to use a label or a term or define our community. Let's just call it our community enormous attention is being given to this 50-game win streak, deservedly so. It's a tremendous accomplishment. Hard work, perseverance, it's a tremendous accomplishment. It's being done with modesty, humility. It's being done uh, in, in a really beautiful way. And again, we'll talk more about it in a moment. Does our community celebrate other accomplishments as much as we've highlighted or put this front and center? 
So I'll give you an example and a preview of a question that we're going to ask Ryan, which is people don't necessarily know this. Ryan got into Division I school, but he chose to go to YU anyway, even though it's Division Three, because he wanted to continue his Jewish education, his Torah studies, and continue to be in a Torah Jewish environment. That's a kid of Shashem. And arguably, that's bigger than a 50-game win streak. So NBA and ESPN aren't going to pick up on that. But maybe we should be talking more about that. That you got a young man with tremendous talent who got into Division I, could have played at a higher level, but chose Jewish education over the secular university that would have given him a higher ranked school to play for. You could argue that's a bigger accomplishment, bigger Kiddush Hashem than winning 50 or more games in a row. But I don't know that we give that as much attention as the win streak or hanging from the rim with the reverse dunk and so on and so forth. So it's an interesting question about what we highlight, what we celebrate. Is there, you know, if, if there's a kid in the YU based Medrash who finished Shas Yerushalmi, would it get as much fanfare, attention, article, celebration as the as the win streak or a kid who missed, didn't miss a day of Minion? No, so first of all, I agree with you 100%. I don't think they have to be mutually exclusive, and I think there's a place for both of them. I think there's a place, obviously, to celebrate the kid who's making a CM or the kid who doesn't miss Minion. But I do think there's also, obviously, we're having them on, a significant place to celebrate these individuals for the following reason. First of all, not everyone relates to the guy who makes Minion or the guy who's making a CM. And I do think that there's a population out there which is looking and hungry for Jewish pride. Maybe they're on college campuses where their Judaism is under threat. Maybe they're older and they didn't grow up with a strong Jewish background and they're constantly being tugged between two different worlds. And they see these guys and they're enamored by them and they're drawn to them and they view them as heroes rightfully so. So I don't think they have to be mutually exclusive at all. I think we, you know, I I know you agree. And I I think we should celebrate it. And I'll I'll make one more point. Um, I, I think that, there are children out there that are hungry for clean entertainment, that are hungry for role models that their parents will say, that's the type of person you can put on the wall in your room. And you and I know that in this world, there are few and far between. Many of the athletes, the prominent celebrities are not necessarily people we want our children looking towards and saying, I want to be like that person. And I think it's really important to give our children role models that they can look up to that we're comfortable with, not only comfortable with, but that we're celebrating alongside with them. Agreed. So, I, But I don't think the worlds have to be divided. I think that we can admire a lot of a different array of accomplishments, including this one, admire it, present it. And, and I think it represents for our kids something they could get excited about and rally around. But we should also not um, at the expense of or while ignoring other accomplishments, independent or even accomplishments that are part of this. Meaning, if you could ask, and, and we could, we're about to bring them on, Elliot Steinmetz, that tomorrow night's big game, number one versus number four. If somebody has Night Seder in the base medrash, should they cancel or skip it to get to the game or go to Night Seder and watch the game later or find out about the score later? What, what would he say? What's important? So I think that, you know, again, we could celebrate it. We could mark it. We should be unapologetic or not defensive. We should be excited and pumped and root and cheer and, and there's definitely an element, we'll have this conversation and see, of Kiddush Hashem. But we should also have it within a context and some of the unintended messaging that maybe um, can come across to young people if we disproportionately celebrate it or exclusively right. celebrate it without celebrating other things I, as well. I think the, the biggest problem I'm having is because whenever my son, you know, he watches football and he thinks that he could be the next big football player, I'm always like, just go study. You're not going to be a big football player. You're not going to be a big basketball player. And all of a sudden he's like, well, look at these guys. These guys are doing it. <laughs> so These guys are doing it. Well, 
We've waited long enough. Super excited to have our guests. And without any further ado, we're so excited to welcome them on. What an exciting privilege it is to be joined by stars of the YU Max coach, Elliot Steinmetz, and star Ryan Terrell. Thank you so much for going behind the Bima with us. Thanks for having us. Hey, yeah, thank you for having us. Excited it's, to do this. It is our pleasure. I know this is uh, super exciting for us and for our those who watch and listen to Behind the Bima. I hope it's exciting for you. I know, you know, ESPN tweeted, the official NBA tweeted, but that's nothing compared to going behind the Bima. So this is exciting uh, for all of us, and we're really uh, we're pumped to have you. Congrats on 50 straight games. What an accomplishment. What an achievement. You got the eyes not only of the Jewish people, but the eyes of the nation on you, and all while wearing your kippahs, your yarmulkes, standing up for strong Jewish values, Jewish pride, um, really an incredible representation of our community. And for that, we are so grateful for that and and so much more. So I guess that's the, the first question to both of you is, do you feel the weight of the Jewish world on your soldiers, that this is now more than basketball, it's so much more than just about a win streak and about basketball, but it's really about representing the Jewish community, the Torah community. So, and I'll take it first, I guess, right? But, uh, you know, it's funny. We, we, we talk about it before every season and, uh, and throughout. It's, uh, you know, certainly something that's important. Um, the word people always use is, is, is it a burden? Is it on your shoulders? And, and the truth is, it's not. It's really, it's a, it's a privilege and maybe an obligation, but it's, it's really a privilege. And it's something that I think our guys not just live up to, but want to live up to. You know, I think they, I think they enjoy that. I think they enjoy meeting you know, younger kids at games who are looking up to them and, and meeting, you know, people older than them who are in certain ways looking up to them and having an opportunity to set an example in a, in a public way on the basketball court, obviously. And, you know, certainly at this point with things they're doing off the court. So, you know, we don't we don't look at it so much as something that's, you know, that we're carrying in terms of a weight on our shoulders as, as much as it's a, you know, privilege and a responsibility. Amazing. Ryan. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's an honor. You know, the, every time we step on the floor, it's not we're not just representing Yeshiva University. We feel like we're we're representing the Jewish people as a whole. We're trying to make them proud. And you know, if we're able to do that on the basketball court, it's just a it's a dream come true and a blessing. You know, to 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 try to inspire the Jewish people and you know, and it's it's awesome that they're all all rooting for us. We definitely are all rooting for you. So I want to follow up, um, really, again, back to both of you. But coach, when you're when you're recruiting to the team and you're looking up at the makeup of the team and you're coaching the team, what makes it a Yeshiva University team? How are you coaching this team differently? What are some of the the rules, the protocols, the boundaries, the practices that differentiate a Yeshiva University team than if you were coaching some secular college? And Ryan, I'll ask you the same question. You had the opportunity to play Division One West Point. You came to Yeshiva instead because of a commitment to Judaism. You say it's a major factor. So how does that how does that impact your role on the court? Basketball's basketball, right? It's the same same basket, same height, same foul line, same three point line. So how does Judaism inform? So really, to both of you, coach, how does it impact the way you shape and coach the team, and Ryan, the way you play on the court? So I think it makes it. I think it makes my job a lot easier. Honestly, I think the the values that our kids have that they grew up with. I mean, and let's and let's call it like it is. I, I don't have experience anywhere else, right? So my experience is in is in Jewish high school coaching, you know, a little bit of Maccabea, and then obviously at Yeshiva. So I, I've been lucky enough to be around kids that are from you know the same kind of background with the same kind of values. 
Um, and, and it shows, it shows on the court, it shows how they conduct themselves. And it also actually translates into the game. Uh, you know, the style that we play relies very, very heavily on having guys who are selfless, you know, guys who are willing to kind of give up of, of their own ego and give up of themselves for the better of the team. Um, and it's, it's a style that's worked for us, obviously, over the last few years. And it's a style that, you know, guys like Ryan who come in, who have, you know, extreme talent and are superstars, it's easy to get them to buy in and to play a certain way and, and you know, to have the other guys in the team play that way. Um, and I think that's something that exists, you know, in part because of where we are, um, you know, being at Yeshiva University with guys from that kind of background who grew up with certain values and, and, and you know, are, you know, just they're, they're kind of living that way and they're living that way on the court as well, which, which is just a big positive for us. Amazing. Ryan, how does your Judaism impact your play? Um, I mean, it, it, it's, it's, it's part of who I am. You know, I, I, when I was recruited to, you know, these D1 schools, I was seriously considering a few of them. Um, but when it came down to it, um, you know, I knew Judaism will, you know, is me, it's a part of me and it's, it wasn't worth sacrificing my religion and who I am, you know, just to say I played division one basketball and, you know, to be able to set the pathway for all the kids, you know, the Jewish kids, Orthodox kids looking out there, you know, oh, I want to play Division One basketball. Oh, I want to, you know, play a higher level to set the pathway um, that you could succeed coming to Yeshiva University, staying religious, you know, and uh, staying an Orthodox Jew, essentially, uh, and, and and still succeed after college, you know, and, and succeed after, you know, succeed after college and, and, you know, succeed in life, that it doesn't matter, you know, what you believe in, but you know, that, that, that you could succeed. Amazing. That's great. Well, first of all, I got to thank both of you because you have made me cool. When, uh, (laughs) when I told a member of my family that I was interviewing you guys, I officially became cool very quickly. So thank you both. But a lot of kids see the success. They see the consecutive wins. They see all the articles, they see ESPN tweeting and the NBA tweeting about you guys. And it's, it's all fun and, you know, glorious, um, you know, from what the little kids see. Take us behind the scenes and some of the challenges. Um, what are some moments of adversity? What are some failures that have informed you along the way that the average person might not see or some of the difficulties that we might not be privy to on a day-to-day basis, but some of that adversity that you've had to overcome, that you've had to struggle with and battle with, that's really enabled you to grow into the person that you you are. And again, I, I direct that to both of you because I would imagine both as coach and as player, there have been challenges along the way. And uh, if you could just take us a little bit behind the Bima as to what some of those are and how they have helped you grow. I see what you did there. <laughs> Ryan, you want to go first? Or you want me to? Sure. Um, you know, growing up, you know, w- w- it was, um, you know, playing basketball with the Amazon. People just assume you can't play or, you know, they don't really respect you on the court. Um, you know, so growing up, I, I struggled with it. You know, in high school, I struggled. I, I would take my almaca off sometimes in uh, in these gyms. But then, when I realized the importance of putting it on and you know beating them while wearing the almaca and getting the respect that you know us Jews deserve, you know, on the court. Um, you know, when I realized that importance, I realized how how much uh, that means not just to me, but to be prideful as a Jewish community, and we should be proud of who we are, and we shouldn't try to hide it. Um, you know, that was, that, that's definitely something that I struggled with and, you know, uh, to be able to do that and, and, you know, 
show kids that you can you can uh, wear a yarmulke and and still play basketball at a high level. It's it, it's a dream come true. It's amazing, Elliot. What about you? I think for me, and and you know, I'll talk on behalf of the guys a little bit too. I, I think it's a lot to do with the schedule, um, you know, and and maybe they're used to it. You know, we all went through yeshiva high school and, and day school where we had the dual curriculum, obviously, and and the rest of the world doesn't always understand the, that concept, but. You know, our guys are getting up at like 5.30 every morning to practice at 6.15, 6.30. Um, they're in the gym usually around 6.15, shooting around, getting warm up, and, you know, going from there first to, you know, prayer services and then shear and then classes and the dual curriculum and sometimes in class till 8, 8.30, some of them 9 o'clock at night. Um, so the schedule is, is brutal. You know, they're probably getting less time on the court and in the weight room than most programs around the country. Um, in part because of their schedule, in part because they have part-time coaches. Uh, you know, I, I work full-time. I'm not there all day and, and available to these guys all day. And they're kind of, you know, on their own in, in a big way in terms of getting some, you know, getting some extra work in and getting in the gym on their own for extra workouts and getting in the weight room and all that kind of stuff. So I, I think, you know, from, from that perspective, the, the schedule that comes along with being, you know, part of a Yeshiva University or part of a, you know, a, of a Jewish background in general is, is just very, very different. Um, and something that I think a lot of people don't realize, you know, yes, there's a ton of talent here, um, but the amount of work and the amount of really self-motivation that these guys have to have in order to get to the level that they've gotten to in terms of competing um, is pretty special. Is know? that something you actively talk about as a team in terms of that discipline, in terms of how to balance priorities? Because there are a lot of adults that couldn't balance the schedule that you're asking these guys to be able to balance and to have that discipline that you're asking them to have discipline um, is that something you actively talk about? Is that something you're constantly monitoring? Um, and I guess what would be your advice to to younger people or even anybody listening who wants to accomplish the success, who wants to achieve that level of success? Um, in 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 it's hard sometimes to put in that effort. It's hard to stay as disciplined. What pep talk would you give to them? What halftime pep talk would you give to them that says you can do it? If these kids can do it, then you can do it also. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 something we talk about. I think more so in, in the recruiting, you know, in the recruiting side of things. You know, it really has to be something that's that's for you if you're going to come here. Like you, you have to be willing to, you know, obviously get up that early and be and be part of something special and and put in that work and know that you're going to have to put work in on your own. Um, in terms of the, you know, the lesson for people, my my father's been saying it to me since I was since I was a little kid. If you want to find somebody to get something done, try to find the most busy person out there because they find ways to manage their time and to put things that are important into their schedule and get it done. Um, and I think that's something that our guys, and I think really most, you know, probably most students at our university and, and, and in general from Jewish background and Jewish schools leave school with. It's an ability to multitask, an ability to manage time, uh, to handle a, a crazy schedule um, and to kind of move on into their professional careers and, and lives and, and, manage a family, manage a career, manage being part of charitable, you know, charitable organizations uh, and things like that. And I think that, you know, probably our student athletes and certainly the guys on our on our basketball team really leave with a big sense of that, you know, time management and ability to kind of juggle a lot of things at the same time. What, what you just described up. makes the makes the team all the more extraordinary, right? Like you said, a lot of these uh, even Division three, Division two, II, Division one sports teams, the whole day revolves around practice, the gym, workout, scrimmage, and so on. And here, there's this dual curriculum. Torah is a huge part of it. It's a big sacrifice to make, and still winning 50 games in a row. So, coach, tell us when did you know you had a special team? When did you know you had a special player in Ryan? At what point? At what point in the win streak? Or at what point? 
when the team was gelling and coming together, did you realize we've got something special here? So it's funny. We, we don't really pay that much. I, I know it's hard to say it because everyone's talking about it and it's all over Twitter and, and everywhere else in, so, in social media world. We don't talk that much about the win streak. We really don't pay attention to it. It's, it's funny. I think uh, two years ago when, when, when it started, I'm not even sure we even realized that we were on such a big win streak. We were just kind of so focused, and I know it's cliche, but we were so focused on the one game in front of us um, and the maturity of the guys that we had. And, and it was Ryan as a sophomore at the time, and it was you know Gabe Leifer, and at the time it was Simcha Halford and Donnie Katz as seniors, you know Ofek Reef as a, as a freshman, and I can name a million guys. Eitan Halpert was a freshman at the time. There's so many guys that were just so mature beyond their years in terms of their focus on that kind of one game in front of us that we turned around at the end of the year and, and it was, you know, we were 29 and one and none of us had realized that it was 29 games in a row. It just wasn't the focus. I think the only time it really came to our attention was probably last year during the shortened season where we played only seven games and we knew there was no postseason and it was kind of just something that each game you could kind of focus on. Hey, we're going to try to win this game and then, you know, lengthen the streak a little bit. Um, so I think it became interesting. And then once this season started where we kind of have bigger goals and we're focused, you know, first, obviously on our conference and and then obviously on hopefully getting into the NCAA tournament and competing there, it became kind of one game at a time again. And while everybody's talking about it, we're really kind of just focused on Thursday night, you know, and, and being prepared for that game. And then, you know, once that game's over, we'll start preparing for the next one. But it's, it's you know, it's as cliche as it sounds, it's really, I think, what has made us great over the last couple of years and what's made us consistent is that we have you know mature guys and leaders like Ryan and like Gabe and like Aton this year who are our captains who have really kept guys focused on what's ahead of us in the short term as opposed to kind of looking down the road too much. It's a great metaphor for life. One game at a time, one day at a time, one task at a time, Absolutely. being in the moment. Yeah, everyone everyone wants to get to the end goal, but they don't realize how much work you have to put in, you know, to get to that end goal. And so that that one game at a time, you know, is definitely a great metaphor. Ryan, how do, you, how do you do it? How is it not a distraction when ESPN is tweeting your picture to 38 million people? How is, it, how is it not a distraction to just be checking Twitter, checking social media, to walk around campus and be a Raheo? How do you stay focused? First of all, how do you stay humble as a Torah Jew? And how do you stay focused on the one game at a time when it's so easy to be distracted? Um, so I'm a big believer of you, you stay humble or you get humbled. Um if you know the minute you start boasting it god is will, will take it away from you um but you know the one game at a time thing started um the lesson was learned my freshman year uh we we started off one in five uh we came into that season thinking oh you know we, we just won the skyline championship we added these new guys we're gonna have a great year and we don't really see anybody in our conference that can beat us and then we we start out one in five we start out horribly uh, we go on a big 17 game winning streak and we start thinking, oh, let's go. We're going to win the Skyline Championship. And then who are we going to play in the tournament and how are we going to rank? And then we lose uh, two of our last three games. And then we lose in the, the, the championship of that year because um, we kind of got too excited of, of, of what can be next. And we, we, we forgot that, you know, we have an opponent opponent tonight that we have to beat, um, you know, and, and it started. Also, my sophomore year, we, we went to L.A. and we kind of looked past our opponent and they beat us. And that's when we like really buckled down and said, hey, we, we got to stop looking past guys like these. These college teams are going to come out and give you their best shot and and try to beat you every night. And they're 
they're great players. Um, so they, they're capable of beating you every night. So we that's when we started really focusing on, hey, we got this team. We're going to we're going to focus on this team. Doesn't matter who we have next. We got to beat this team. We got to beat you know, and then once that's over, you get to the next game. Step by step. Uh, Brody. It's amazing. You know, I'm just wondering, every kid grows up with dreams and your dreams are obviously of basketball. How old were you? Or when did it happen that you said to yourself, you know what? This actually might happen. I think that I actually might be some form of a professional basketball player. And how big does the dream get? Where are you thinking about going? And you're in uncharted territory right now. Do you speak to the Tamir Goodmans of the world and the Yogi Verdugos and guys that came before you? Like, what? what's the path? Listen, I when I was younger, I always wanted to play uh, professional basketball in Israel. That was a, always a goal of mine. Um, you know, the, the higher levels uh, just recently uh, uh, came to, you know, came into reality, I guess. Um, but my advice is, you know, half of success is just showing up. You know, if you have a if you have a practice, if you're on a team, you just have to show up to every practice. I was growing up. I showed up to every practice, every workout, anything films, film session. I had a we had a wedding yesterday that I had to be at. And, um, you know, we had a film session after and I had to leave the wedding early to go to the uh, film session of a, you know, of a close uh, family friend um to make that film session so half of success is just showing up and then the the other half is it's what you do when no one's watching um when you know when it's easy to you know try to to shoot the ball and, and put the ball in the hoop when you know everybody's watching there and and work hard when everybody's in the gym and and love the game then how much you love the game how much you love your craft when um no one's in the gym no one's watching no one's there rebounding for you no one's you know um you know by your side or or um so all that work you do when when the lights are off will will translate and help you succeed um uh when the lights get turned on coach everybody sees the success you know we talked about the the tweets we talk about the streak we talk about the fan base we talk about the love what do we not know in terms of some of the hate that you've confronted? I know online you've received some anti-Semitism. The more attention Yeshiva's gotten and, and Jewish uh, players and coaches and yarmulkes. Um, how have you confronted that online, offline? And Ryan also, you know, with all the love that we're seeing, have you received a lot of hate? And what do you do about it? Um, I mean, it's thankfully, I don't think it's as much as people think. Um, on, online is online. And people, people like to hide behind... Uh, you know, different personalities online and, and say things, whether uh, they think they're funny or whether they're just being hateful. Um, you know, we, we, we um, uh, you know, it's funny when we, when we, when we started out uh, about eight years ago, we used to talk for the season. Hey, if we have, you know, if we hear something in the stands or if something happens in a game, just be the bigger man and, you know, let it go and don't let it bother you. And I think it was about four, four years ago or five years ago where I just kind of had enough of that. And, uh, you know, maybe it was even less, maybe it was three or four years ago, but there were, you know, there were, there were, there were attacks happening around New York city at the time. Um, there were various things happening all over the world. And I kind of sat with our guys before the season and I said, you know what? I changed my mind. I think I was wrong the last three, four years. If you hear something in a game, if somebody says something to you, whether it's a player, whether it's somebody in the stands, stop, call timeout, come to the side and tell me we're stopping the game. And, you know, if we need to embarrass somebody publicly or we need to embarrass a school that doesn't want to handle a situation publicly, then we're going to do that. But it's, you know, it's 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 
time to kind of there's certain times to just stand up and to do something about it. You know, there was there was a situation on uh, social media. It was last week where where somebody made a comment. I mean, there's a lot of comments. It happened to be the person who made a comment was a professional athlete overseas, and you know, we uh, we called it out on uh, on social media, and you know, ultimately led to a conversation with the young man, and which went very well, and you know, turned into obviously an apology and more of an understanding of the kind of the background of the comment he made, and and you know, hopefully an understanding going forward of, of, you know, how those comments, whether meant jokingly or not, can really breed further hate. Um, you know, and it's the same idea when we deal with it on the court. It's something that we're, you know, not really going to let go anymore. Uh, thankfully, I don't think we really deal with it that much from players and coaches. Um, certainly not over the eight years that I've been there. It's maybe, you know, maybe it's less than a handful of times that that's happened. Um, you know, it's more so from the stands occasionally in certain places where, you know, people will yell something out or, you know, say something. And most of the time I don't find out about it till afterwards, but you know, it's something that now we're, uh, you know, now, now we will be addressing uh, much more seriously than we used to in the past. Ryan, what about you on the playground growing up on the off season? Now, when you're playing, you're out there, people know who you are. You stand for yeshiva. You got the yarmulke. Have you had to, have you had to confront it? Um, you know, in high school, it, it happened a little bit where, you know, anti-Semitic uh, comments were, were yelled at. Um, when we went into gyms and when we played and, you know, the, I, I felt like the best response to that was just beating them on the court, um, you know, and embarrassing them in front of their, their fans. And, you know, they, they may be calling us names, but, you know, we're, we're, we're leaving there with the victory and that's, that's cool with me. That's great. I want to ask you both about, uh, we already mentioned it, we glossed over it, but that is, uh, the other famous Jewish basketball player that is Tamir Goodman who was obviously still involved in teaching basketball in Israel. And uh, Coach, there are rumors that after you recruit a high school student, that if they go to Israel for the gap year, they've been known to, tra uh, to train with Tamir over there. Is that accurate? And what's that relationship like? And then uh, to Ryan, I guess as a follow-up question, who would win? Who would win in a game, 18-year-old Tamir Goodman or Ryan Terrell? Jewish Terrell. Uh <laughs> It's pretty funny. So, I mean, Tamir, Tamir is a friend. He's been a friend for a long time. Um, we do have a lot of guys. It's more coincidence than anything else. We do have a lot of guys who, after they commit to us, that end up going to take a gap year that do go and train with him. Um, it's not like any kind of official uh, setup. It just is more of a, I guess, uh, a coincidence and something that works out. You know, certainly I, I would I would absolutely always, uh, you know, suggest guys go there or, you know, Yogev does a great job, obviously, also in, in Israel. So there's there's a lot of different places that guys can kind of train and stay in shape. Um, you know, but we've been we've been lucky that a few guys have gone to Tamir, who, who's done a really good job, you know, developing skills. Um, and he's been, you know, a good friend to me and a good friend to our program in general. You may not believe this, coach, but Yogev's first high school basketball coach. Right, right here. there. Yeshiva yeah. High School. I was, I was, awesome. yeah. Jerry, Jerry Tarkanian called me. He was trying to recruit Yogev at the time, UNLV, <laughs> and uh, we got, we got Yogev started. So we're proud here from, uh, from Boca Raton. That's great, Ryan. So if you, if you need an question. assistant coach, you there you go. I'm available to fly up <laughs> Thursday night for the game. Ryan, who's the goat? Young, young uh, Tamir Goodman versus you. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a not answer this question. <laughs> Smart um, man. Yeah. Smart man. It's good to be uh, humble. <laughs> you are you are a smart man. Tell me, um, so so Yeshiva University, Torah, observant Jew. Where does Hashem fit into the picture? You talk to him a lot off the court, do you talk to him on the court, coming to that free throw line or uh one, hanging from yeah. the hanging yeah, from the rim? All the time. I've a I have a very spiritual connection with Hashem. You know, I pray every day. I 
you know, wrap to fill in. And, and, you know, if I, if there's a big free throw late down in the game, uh, I always, I always say a couple words to Hashem, you know, please help me hit this or, you know, talk to, you know, um, and yeah, no, I just have a very uh, spiritual connection with, uh, with Hashem and always have. Um, and yeah, it's a, it's amazing. Coach, what about on the sidelines during the game? You talking to him? Yeah, but it's probably more like, oh, God, no, or you know, <laughs> help us, God, or you know, something like that. But uh, no, I mean, I, I, I think I try to like separate. It's, it's more so, I think, afterwards, uh, you know, after the game or, you know, I, I, first of all, I, I don't I don't dive in for victories. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm a little older than the players, obviously, a little more experienced in life where there are bigger things in life to uh, to, to pray for. Um, you know, but I do certainly recognize his hand in everything we do. And, you know, I, I, it's, you know, something I think about and talk about a lot, you know, after a game, you know, or, or, you know, over the course of a conversation where, you know, it's at the end of the day, everything's in his hands and, you know, we are where we are because that's where he wants us to be. Um, and wherever we end up will be because that's where he wants us to be. And, you know, we, I think we kind of know that and understand it. And, you know, we're just trying to, you know, do our job and, 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 you know, live it out as best we can. That's powerful. That's, that's, you know, that's the, the money quote here in this conversation. And the young kids should hear that is with all the credit people take and all the hard work they put in, in the end, you know, it's up to him. Thank God he's been a big Max fan. We hope he continues to be a big Max fan as well. Ryan, I know it's not only Hashem was on the, uh, on the sidelines rooting for you. Um, one of my kids who remembers you back in the Sarachek tournament remembers your mom going up and down the sidelines, also being very enthusiastic for you, one of my own kids. So what does that mean to have your family at the games and you feel their presence? I mean, she's, she's been doing that since before I can dribble a basketball. Uh, she's been on the court yelling and, you know, to have that background, you know, that, that support um, really helped me help drive me to uh, where I am today. Um, and, and the fact that, that my parents were there, the whole way through and my family's there the whole way through to support me is just unbelievable coach your family involved in this win streak and and what you do you have like you said you have a full-time job your family man you got community life and and this is one part of who you are uh yeah it is and you know they're they come to the games they watch the games they're very supportive my kids love going actually all three of my kids came to practice and film session with me last night and they wanted to be around but uh you know they've kind of grown up around it between the high school coaching and the college coaching so they've they've always kind of been around that you know around that world and they're into sports obviously themselves and uh it's uh it's you know always awesome having them all around we spoke about some of the challenges of uh being a religious jew and playing basketball if you could take us behind the beam a little bit give us a story of uh of a particularly challenging situation either where you had to do shabbos as a team finding minion on a road learning what are some uh, examples that you can give people of where it's been a challenge to obviously been a yeshiva but also a basketball team and how you as a team came together to overcome that and to, to make the most out of whatever situation you found yourselves in so i mean i'll give you two quick things no, uh, first of all you mentioned uh, you know learning it's uh, something that about four or five years ago one of our assistant coaches started a little i would say minute to two minute uh, kind of physics year before every game in the locker room, which I think is kind of a cool little touch. You know, it's optional. The guys don't have to go. Pretty much all of them do. Um, that's something that's continued. And now we have, you know, a player who who runs that before every game. You know, after we meet in the locker room, the guys stay around for, you know, no more than a minute, minute and a half, a little quick of our Torah and kind of remember, you know, why we're there, why we're different, and then, you know, head out to the game. 
Um, in terms of a challenge, uh, you know, the first time we were in the NCAA tournament is actually the year before I joined us. Um, we had to go out to York, Pennsylvania uh, for a weekend for the tournament. And I believe the Thursday that we traveled out there was Purim. Uh, you know, so we were not just dealing with Shabbos. We were dealing with making a Purim Suda out there. And, you know, obviously it was very, very important that the guys had to come up with a song, you know, at the, at the uh, table to make fun of Coach's head and, and lack of hair. And um, the, uh, you know, and I think it was just in general, the, the kind of logistics of throwing together a Purim Suda on the road, you know, with the team and then obviously going into a Shabbos. Um, you know, it's a great experience, obviously great bonding experience and a ton of fun and real opportunity for Kiddush Hashem, but just also a lot of fun and definitely different and, uh, and not, not, not as easy to deal with as they probably thought it was. That's great. Ryan, yeah. any stories stick out? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my first experience in the NCAA tournament, we uh, beat uh, WPI early on a Friday and we were expecting, you know, to play Johns Hopkins. Um, the, the, after we beat them, they had a game against um, Penn State Harrisburg on Friday night. So all of Shabbos, we didn't know who we were playing, um, you know, before that, that game. And we had a scout printed out of Johns Hopkins, who was the number five team in the country, just beat the number one team, Swarthmore. We were ready to go. We all read scout on Hopkins and uh, on Shabbos. You know, we had our pamphlets um, uh, printed out. And uh, Mote Shabbos, we come to find out that uh, Penn State Harrisburg won that game. And uh, so we, we had a quick 20-minute uh, film session right after Shabbos, after Abdullah, obviously. And then we headed to the, uh, headed to the gym, you know, wow. r- right after not expecting to play this team. So, you know, uh, that was definitely a challenge. But uh, at the end of the day, the, the, we got the job done that night. I love this. Yeah. And it goes without saying, and I'm going to turn it over to Robbie Brody. I, just, I want to be explicit about it that when so many Jews are running away from their Judaism and are embarrassed of it and ashamed of it and hiding it, I just, as I'm hearing you tell the stories and everything you represent, I just want to be explicit about it, how amazing it is and how I hope more and more children learn from your example of embracing your Judaism, being proud of it and viewing that as an asset rather than as a liability. So Rabbi Brody. It's amazing. Thank you. It's amazing. You know, and as one of the greatest of all time, maybe the greatest of all time, I'm just wondering, was it always easy? And it was, did there, did, did you always succeed ever, at, at, at every juncture? Were there times where, Ryan, you, you, you hope to achieve something, but it just didn't work out? Oh, you're talking to Ryan. Said, oh, okay. no, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, many times. I mean, I've, I've faced many adversities and, and, and lost many big games and missed many big shots. Um, and I think that's, you know, what helped me become, you know, the player that, that has become today, um, you know, growing up, I wasn't always the best player. I was actually a shorter player, which is why I became a, a, a guard. I had a great, crazy growth spurt my freshman year where I went from like five, seven to six, three. Wow. Um, Still so waiting I, for that, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, but you know, I was, I was cut from my, uh, from my uh, AAU team, the, the number one team. I was cut from that team because wow you know, everybody else on the team was from a really good high school and whatnot. And I was from Valley Torah division five. No one really, yeah, I was a skinny Jewish kid. They didn't really believe in me, um, at that stage. So, um, I, I just try to use those situations as motivation, you know, to, to, to get better and try to, to prove the naysayers wrong. Um, you know, and, and 
to be able to do that it w- would be amazing well you've, you've been doing it and at now six seven so that growth spurt really uh it kicked helped. in you, it helped. you got you got that reverse dunk not a lot of jews can dunk there we go. Uh, you got that three-point shot you pass you rebound you're an all-around player What's the part of the game? I don't want to do scouting right now for the Thursday night opponent, but if there's a part of the game that when you're in the gym, extra hours, you're still working on, what part of the game would you say that is? Footwork. Um, I, I would say footwork. I mean, obviously I get, uh, I try to get some, uh, as many shots as I can get up, but you know, after I get those shots up, I'm, you know, really fundamental about trying to, to make sure my feet are a hundred percent correct. Uh, my my trainer back in LA, he's a he's a perfectionist. If you if you do if you do the move and make the shot, but you your feet aren't perfect the way he wants it, he'll make you do it again. Um, I've done hour um, training sessions with this guy with uh, where we just legit worked on one move until I got my feet down correctly. Um, and and you know, so I, I would say footwork would be the thing I work on most. The reason that's such a fascinating answer is because certainly for the, you know, the amateur spectator of basketball, you know, they, they look at the the form of your shooting. They look at, you know, impressive rebounder and assistant assist, but people aren't thinking about or working on or the average person in their pickup game is not talking about or thinking about footwork. So all the little things that go on in order to be able to break through and find success are things that the spectator doesn't even appreciate there's effort right. going into. It's 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 not flashy. It's it, it's not flashy, but it it gets the job done. Coach, where do you look to for uh, motivation or inspiration? Are there books? Are there people? Um, what are some things that have helped you along the way as you've kind of grown into this international spotlight in position? Um, what what has guided you along the way? And are there people currently who, when you go through a tough day, when you need advice, that you turn to that are able to support you during those times? I mean, in terms of motivation, it's you walk into the gym and you see these guys and and the you know the level of commitment that they have to the goals that we're trying to put in front of them, um, and their willingness to kind of buy into what eight years ago people probably thought was crazy when we came in and started talking about winning our conference, going to the NCAA tournament, competing for a national championship, all those things, um, you know, being ranked nationally, things that literally people people laughed and. When I, when I interviewed for the job and I talked about these things, they laughed at me in the interview. So it's, you know, walking into the gym and seeing guys that we've recruited that are, you know, what we consider winning players and guys who have, you know, kind of bought into this dream and bought into these goals. Um, that's really all the motivation you need to try to work your hardest as a coach to prepare for these games and get them prepared because um, you see how much they want it and how much they're willing to prepare on their own and what they're willing to give up to chase it. Um, it makes the, uh, the lack of sleep very, very worth it. Um, so yeah, it's exciting. I mean, I, I say it all the time, but, uh, you know, and whoever's keeping their bingo, bingo board, uh, you know, uh, can, can knock this one off, but, uh, I don't need my alarm to wake me up for practice in the morning. Um, you know, I get up cause I'm excited to go. To tell us a little bit about, you know, obviously not the details, but you got an upcoming game. So the prep that goes into it, aside from the normal practice to make sure that, that, you know, the players are fresh and, and know the plays. How much is going into, you say, watching the film? Are you executing a different strategy on offense and defense based on the opponent? Um, are you studying the other team to know their star players, you know, how to how to try to contain them? What, what's the kind of work that's going in? 
Yeah, well, we have you know we have a few coaches that that help us with breaking down film. Um, in particular, Ellie Katz uh, is one of our coaches who spends a lot of time on film. He's generally two to three games ahead of us. So when we're playing, he's already kind of on the next you know one to two games ahead, making sure that we're turning around and prepared as soon as that game ends. Um, but we get a real good breakdown of uh, you know the team we're playing. Generally, um, we'll spend numerous hours watching game film, uh, breaking down tendencies of the players that we're seeing. Uh, trying to get like um, you know, trying to get a good report to our guys before each game with what they can expect when they're guarding a certain player in terms of tendencies and habits that uh, that they can rely on. You know, when they when they want to you know make a certain move defensively or or treat some you know or, or guard somebody a certain way. Um, you know, I don't I don't think we change much in terms of our overall strategies in terms of the way we play as a team. Um, you know, that's something that we kind of do regardless. It's you know we we might. We, you know, we might show them a certain reads they'll see in a game uh, based on how a team defends uh, versus how another team defends. Uh, but for the most part, we're really relying on our players out there that you know we think make better decisions on the court than we're going to make sitting on the sidelines in the course of a game. Um, and if we give them the right tools and the right information and the right principles to use in that game, we trust their talent. We trust their you know we trust their basketball minds to kind of make the right play, and that's you know really paid off for us over the years. It's also a life lesson, right? You can't achieve things without preparation. And again, the person on the sideline watching says, oh, that was a great steal. But they don't know that there was hours of film that went into anticipating that move and no one would likely do that. So you got that steal. So it takes a lot of, a lot of work. Ryan, what's been on this, on this streak, this 50-game streak, something stand out that's been the coolest? Was it the ESPN tweet, the NBA tweet? Has anyone reached out to you that you could share with us, professional or, or non-professional, that's been really cool that they've been in touch with you? What's been the greatest part of this? Being uh, on behind the beamer. Uh, yeah, being on behind the beamer. Um, <laughs> no, I just think that the, the greatest part of this is is all the support we've we've gotten from the Jewish community as a whole. Um, that 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 they're appreciative and they they they've been showing us support um, of, of what we've been doing, and it's just an unbelievable and humbling experience that we can affect uh, a lot of people's lives and so many people's lives just through um, basketball. And uh, it, it, it's amazing, and uh, it's just it's just awesome. Are you going to share with us what's next? Uh, you're eligible to stay, right, because of COVID? And yes. Theory, I, you're eligible to stay I, a little longer? I can come back next year. We'll, we'll see. <laughs> uh, you're, you're being trained well. Nice, nice. I like that. <laughs> Bill Belichick school of interviews. That media, train, that media <laughs> training is kicking in. There yeah. it is. Wink once. If... <laughs> yeah. Walk us through game day. Do you get do you get nervous at all? Do you get the jitters? What do you do to calm yourself before a game? And I guess that applies to both of you. Do you get uh, nervous? What are some rituals that you have before a game to get you ready? Um, me personally, I, I I like to to think that you know I, we we've put enough work uh, off the court um, to where where game days we're ready to go. We don't really get nervous. Um, you know, I, I like getting a pregame nap in. Uh, that, that, that's that's sacred to me. Um, right after Mincha, you know, hit hit the bed, get it, get a nice schluff, and uh, get ready for the game. <laughs> that's great. It's amazing you can fall asleep. <laughs> Should do that before my drush on Shabbos. Take a little nap. Go. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. <laughs> Coach, what are the, what are the rituals? I, I'm generally at work all day. I'm a lawyer full time, so I'm uh, spending my day uh, in in real estate deals. Um, so I don't really have time to be nervous during the day. I, I usually I, I am a nervous person. I do get nervous before games, but you know, really only leads up till kind of right when the game is about to start. 
you look out on the court and you see some of the guys that we have out there, it makes you a lot more comfortable. You know, fans have noticed it's not a coincidence that on the court an opponent gets knocked over. You know, you watch professional sports, often they'll turn the back and walk away. You're not going to help the opponent. You're going to make a statement, uh, but not the max. You know, the, the Yeshiva team will will bend down and help an opponent get up. That can't be a coincidence. Is there a lot of emphasis on, on Midos, on character, on behavior, on the impression you're leaving on the court, not just the basketball? Yep, we know we know what we represent, and we know how important it is, and uh, and we know what it's you know the importance of just being a human being and and treating everybody around you with respect, whether it's your opponents, whether it's your teammates, whether it's referees, um, it doesn't matter. That's just that's a big part of life, and it's and it's just a really important thing. And you know, I, I say it all the time. You know, certainly on social media, uh, we we are different, and our, and our guys are different, and that's one of the things that makes them different in a really really positive way. They'll they'll knock you down, you know, over the course of the game. Uh, but they'll pick you right back up afterwards, um, and, and I think it's an important distinction, you know, to understand that you can you can be extremely competitive, um, and you can you can kind of fight with all your heart in the course of a game, but you can also at the same time, you know, be a human being and uh, and and be a mensch. And I think that uh, you know we're lucky enough that we have you know 16 guys like that. It's amazing. You know, I'm just wondering, any of the rabbis, any of the Rosh Hashivas ever come and, and, and cheer you on or, or give you a little bit of a pep talk and say, you want to uh, hear a great story? Really love quick? it. <laughs> Playing in the Skyline Championship game two years ago, right before the pandemic started at uh, at home. What were we down, Ryan? 13 to 2 to start that game? Something uh, like 13 that. 2. Yeah. Something like that. We're down 13 2. And I, and I don't know why I noticed it, but I noticed it during the game. And then again, when I was watching the film of the game afterwards, Rabbi Willig walked into the gym. Right, and he goes oh. and he and he sits down uh, across from the across from our bench on the other side of the court, and the next thing I know, it's like twenty eight to fourteen. <laughs> We're winning, um, and uh, you know it was. I think it was like he was sitting there with his arms up, and every time he, you know, put his arms up, we scored, and if he put his arms back down, then no. The, the, he we, we do have thankfully, you know, obviously Rabbi Berman comes to some games as the president for the university, and uh, you know Rabbi Willig has been to some, and there's been other Rabbeim throughout the course of the year that have shown support, obviously uh, from a lot Cement. of the different shirim. Rabbi Cement is at a ton of games; he's great, and ah, it's just you know, right. it's it's, it's uh, yeah, there's been a lot of support. Yeah. It's been great. That's great. This, uh, these uh, some of these rabbis not only know a lot of Torah, they're bowlers themselves. When I grew up, Marsha Kohler by Willig was on the courts on Fridays, uh, so I'm sure he's not yeah. only cheering, but he, yeah, he, he knows with himself. with his hook shot, his famous yes. hook shot in Camp Masora. That's, right. That's right. It's obviously you know ESPN tweeting out, NBA tweeting out. There's a lot of fanfare, a lot of buzz about what's going on. Do you ever think about or discuss ways that you can leverage all of the PR that you're getting? Is there a way that you can ramp up a lot of your efforts in the community in terms of engaging kids in basketball, in terms of just general talk about Jewish pride? Do you ever talk about that? Do you ever think about that? How you can use all of the success to, to leverage uh, even greater things in terms of the Jewish community and Jewish pride? So I think uh, yeah. some, go ahead, Ryan. Oh, you, you got this. I think it's something that we actually did very, very well over the course of, uh, of of COVID, especially at the beginning. You know, we went right from this kind of bizarre ending where we were on this great run and we're in the Sweet 16 and we're at kind of the pinnacle of excitement in terms of competitive sports. And then it just kind of gets grabbed away. Um, and, and, I, and I think our guys' responses were great. Like instead of just kind of wallowing in it and just being depressed about it, which they had every right to be, they recognized what was going on in the world. They recognized people were sick. 
you know, at the time it was, you know, people were passing away, like people were losing their jobs, people were dying. I mean, it was just a horrible, horrible situation back in whatever it was, March, April, May, you know, a couple of years ago. And, and our guys kind of jumped right into, you know, different opportunities to talk to kids on Zoom, to talk to different schools, to, to be involved in the community um, and, and talk about the experience and, and just kind of give some, you know, give people kind of some sort of uplifting, um, you know, content and, and something to kind of latch onto while the world is kind of just going in a weird direction. Um, and, you know, I think that's kind of continued over the, over the course of the last few years. And, you know, I see how our guys are with, you know, kids who come to games and, and giving them the time of day and taking pictures and just got, kind of going out of their way to, you know, make sure they wait around the extra few minutes. Cause there's, you know, a kid there who, who might look up to them and might, you know, dream about, doing what they're doing in, in, a, in a few years. And, and I think that's kind of a cool thing that our guys have really, you know, become role models in the Jewish community. Great. Ryan, what would you add? Uh, yeah, I mean, just, uh, you know, anytime, you know, you get, you get the chance that, you know, uh, a kid comes up to you, wants to take a picture or uh, any of those moments, uh, it's it's truly humbling and it's an amazing feeling for me um that that we can affect the, the lives of of kids and and the, the young jewish community it, it, it's awesome and we try to do that every time uh we can we want to really thank you giving us a lot of time i'm sure you got a lot of prep a lot of work and a lot you're balancing as we talked about several times it's not a full-time job for either of you got to do a curriculum torah learning law practice so the fact that you spent so much time with us uh, on the eve or Close to a big game really means a lot to us. And uh, here in Boca Raton and around the world, people are pulling for you, rooting for you. And we'll be watching the game live Thursday night. Excited if you want to, you know, from the free throw line or after hanging from the rim, give some kind of sign to behind the beam of fans. We'll, uh, <laughs> we'll know you're talking to us, Ryan. But we know. We really, we really, it's, it's, um, it's not an exaggeration to say that what you're doing is a kiddish Hashem. You know, we are three rabbis and we've dedicated our lives to try to inspire and lift people with Torah values, Torah ideas. And we reach an audience and we reach them in a certain way. But what the two of you are doing, what the team is doing, what you're representing with those uh, yarmulkes and talking about Hashem and talking about Shabbos, not, you know, checking who won. And all these stories are a huge kiddish Hashem. And, and Hashem, you know, God's given you talents, but it's up to you to use them. And, and you're using them, like Rabbi Moskow said, really to, to create a platform that's making a difference. And for that, we know we speak on behalf of the whole Jewish community and thanking you for your hard work, your success, thanking you for being who you are and what you stand for and wishing you only a lot of success, a lot of bracha, a lot of success in the future. We're, we're rooting for you and we can't wait to see this uh, streak continue. Please, God. Amen, amen. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you appreciate so it. All right, guys. Thank you so much. Have a great night. We are back. So, jury was out. Said so we we decide from wow. the interview. We decide from the interview, and I already gave my opinion at the end when we thanked them. Uh, to me, I think it's a kiddush Hashem. I don't think it's just Jewish pride. I think that part of the definition of kiddush Hashem is you attract attention. People are watching. Spotlights on. You're associated with Hashem, with God, with Torah. And do you do it in a way that elevates? And I think that when you have good midos and you help an opponent up off the court, and when you're modest and humble and you say that stay humble or get humbled, and when you daven every day and you put on tefillin and you talk to Hashem from the free throw line, I, I think you're making a kiddush Hashem. When you pass up Division One to go Division Three because you want to stay connected to Judaism and Torah, when you do it all and win 50 games in a row 
while balancing a dual curriculum because it's not enough you're getting a secular education, liberal arts education, you're also still getting a Torah education. I, I think you got to call that a Kiddush Hashem. I would agree. And I think there were so many amazing stories, takeaways from that interview. I loved the story at the end with Rabbi Willig. What a great imagery. <laughs> joke, but I loved it anyways. I thought when um, Coach Steinmetz discussed prayer and putting things into perspective and recognizing the bigger picture, I thought that was fantastic. Um, and I think- I actually, guys, can I interrupt you for one second? I actually yeah. disagree with him. I, I agree with him in some ways. And I think it's a powerful message he gives to his- players to his son who's a budding athlete that there are things bigger than a game when we had on mariana rivera greatest closer of all time the uh first first ballot unanimous hall of famer and mariano said baseball is just the game it's not life so on the one hand he's right but on the other hand just theologically or philosophically when teaching about prayer we always say there's nothing too small to ask god for when you ask god even for what seem to be the small things that's the greatest evidence you really believe he's in charge, he's in control. So on the one hand, I agree with him just in terms of perspective. There are things much bigger than a game. On the other, if you dive into Hashem for what really matters to you, you show him you believe that he's in charge. But anyway, go back. Sorry, keep going. No, no, I agree, obviously. I agree with that, and I, I don't think they're mutually exclusive either necessarily. But I agree with you. I think it's a kiddush Hashem. I think their decisions, I think the way that they speak, I think the way that they view this not as a burden but as an opportunity – I loved what Coach Steinmetz said at the end where when their season got cut short and many people would have rightfully wallowed and been disappointed and be devastated. These guys channeled it into doing good for the community. And I love that. And I think it's uh, they're great role models. I wish them enormous success tomorrow night. And um, I hope they can continue. It's amazing. I'll tell you, you know, there's, there's, there's one thing I kept thinking of as I'm listening to this, this interview. And it really brings you back to high school, like yeshiva teams. These are, yeah, I wasn't on the team. I didn't know how to play basketball, but I remember back when we were in 11th grade and JEC, which is not known to be one of the great teams, at least not, not back then, they actually beat Hillel in Kiva double Resnick. overtime. Kiva Resnick, listen to this. Kiva Resnick. Listen, listen to what happened here. All we, were not, we were not favored. We were in the, in the semifinals, first round of the playoffs. We beat Hillel. In double overtime. So you can imagine the whole school's like on fire. JEC is like, are we going to actually go to Madison Square Garden? Is this going to happen? We finally play MTA in the semifinals. The winner is going to play what ends up being Flatbush in Madison Square Garden. We're winning the game. It's 53-53. You got Ari Witkis, Kevin Sklar, Kiva, Dovey, Ari Ekman. You got you got the whole team, Max Bachman, right? What happens? 53 Who's your research assistant for this? Listen show? to this. No, this is a big story. This is a, I'm setting the record straight because no one no one called it out when this happened. 53 what about Moshe Kalat. Was Moshe Kalat there? He was not. I don't think he was on a team. But listen, it's 53-53. He's one of the he's one Finally. of the Habatim. Finally, listen to what happens here. Moshe, he'll, he'll tell you this. This is true, but it was never documented anywhere. 53-53, we're gonna go to the garden. We're gonna we're gonna beat these guys. All of a sudden, they they they're holding the ball for almost four minutes. There's no shot clock, right? They just say, you know, we're gonna we're gonna hold on to the ball. 15 seconds left. They go up for a layup. Delvey Foreman steals the ball, goes up for a layup. Six seconds left. He's about to score this layup. It's gonna be an easy win. We're going to the garden. JC is going to the garden. And I'm not gonna say it was, but one of the guys in MTA hits his hand and no foul was called. Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. They go back. They push a Kiva Resnick. No, there should have been what they call that, a blocking foul. 
they hit the first shot and we they win by one point, but no foul. No, no. I don't think I've ever seen Rabbi Brody. I was, I was, no, but I'm just telling you, you should have been the Madison Square Garden, and we didn't go I, because no one called a foul when a foul was supposed to be called an MTA. This is behind the Bima episode, I think seventy something. Yeah. And we have not seen Rabbi Brody come as alive <laughs> in 70-something episodes. With such we proficiency in sports. Wait Rabbi till Josh you see. Brody come alive. Wait till you like see this did. final game with these guys, uh, you know, and YU. We're going to come alive live from the game. Are we having a watch party tomorrow night, Thursday night? If you're I'm feeling up to it. Who's barbecuing? <laughs> Who's not? Totally. I actually texted Myers Leonard. I invited him to come to the watch party. That'd be we'll great, see. by the way. We'll see what he says. Be some fun rooting for those Max, but this is their biggest test that they've faced. Uh, but they've they've got it in stride. You know, we've spoken to Coach Steinmetz offline, and as much as he is trying, and he obviously wants to win, but he really has this game in perspective of life. And and the kid, these students, I should say, kids six seven, these students are so lucky to have a coach who's got context, perspective, priorities. He understands maturity. Yeah, maturity. He understands that it's a game and so on. So they're very lucky. And uh, I'll tell you, I'm, I'm, I'm proud. Proud YU alum. I'm proud of uh, my yeshiva. Proud of my alma mater. And uh, proud of this team. Proud of the attention that they're getting. And most proud of, of their midos, of their character, of who they are. And how they're using the spotlight. A lot of talents, a lot of gifts you're given. A lot you work hard to achieve. Basketball is a game. But, you know, the articles that are being written and the profiles that are being done that talk about the yarmulkes, the dual curriculum, the Torah learning, the putting on film, the right. Shabbos and not scouting on Shabbos. That part, that's immortality. That right there, that's Kiddush Hashem. They're using the stage and the platform well, and I think that's the biggest kudos, more than being able to dunk, more than 50-game win streak, but using it to advance Torah and Hashem and Kiddush Hashem, to me, I'm, I'm a fan. I'm sold. I did get a, a text from a friend who said, I think Terrell dominates Tamir, Terrell is 6'7", Tamir is 6'3". So would mm. love to see people's comments. Put it in the chat. You're welcome to contact us offline. Maybe we can get the game together. Maybe for a fundraiser. Some organization is going to get that together, and it's going to be heavily watched, and they're going to raise a lot of money. Let yeah, me ask you one, one correction before we wrap up. First of all, the I was the co-coach of Yeshiva High School's original basketball team together with my friend Rabbi Avi Schneider. Wow. And... Jerry Tarkanian called. He's famous for coaching UNLV, UNLV and chewing on his towel. By the time he called us, he was already on to the next school recruiting. Yogev was and is a great ball player, even better human being. We love Yogev, who grew up in our community and is still inspiring people, both skills and life skills. So uh, just a little correction there about Jerry Tarkanian. Yeah, and if you notice, no one's calling in right now to correct me on that MTA that they should have called the. the, the I, I got a text. Case. I'm just I telling you. We got, we got okay. A text. Okay, AC yeah, would have been we, in the Madison Square Garden. We got a text about having a certain guy that we should have a certain guy from MTA on behind the Bima. I want you to know. I, I don't know what you guys are talking about. I grew up out of town in Boston. We played real teams. None of this Jewish league stuff. Boston we had to play. <laughs> We had to play guys that were like 19 rumor, feet tall. A little taller. Yeah, rumor has it in Maimonides, you guys deflated the basketball a little bit. <laughs> wow. Wow. Whoa. Wow. He went Whoa. There. wow. Yeah. Stole wow. some signs. Stole the signs. I want you to know. I want you to know. Our viewership is primarily from Boston at this point, and you just heard a lot of our fans. I'm okay yep. with that. <laughs> I'm perfectly okay with that. Gentlemen, another great episode. What a great conversation. Everyone should root for the Max Thursday night. If you have Night Seder, don't cancel it. You'll find out later who won the game. Um, but if you can, tune in. 
and cheer for the Max. We're looking forward to celebrating another W, number 51 in a row. Thank you to our sponsors, Sax Sax Kaplan, and uh, so appreciative to our first vice president, Dan Caskell, Benyam, and Michelle, two people who give their heart and soul to the shul community. They do it humbly behind the scenes. I guess we're shining a little spotlight. They don't ask for it. They don't want it. But both of them are always there. Amazing. Dan Caskell and Benyam Michelle always answer the call. Step up whenever asked. Often step in without being asked. We love them. Dan Caskell's fast asleep right now. So now, maybe maybe Dan, Dan also maybe better brush up on his sports trivia if he's going to hire Benyam and Michelle. Know, to keep up with sure. the conversation. Sax, Sax, Kaplan, and Michelle. He he hired Benyam and Michelle to to run the the fantasy. Can I tell a great story? I don't know if he's still listening. I'm going to get in trouble right now. Benjamin and I have another brother-in-law who's a, you know, thank God, bright, successful in an accounting firm. And in that firm, they had a fantasy football league. But he grew up more, call it yeshivish, and doesn't really know sports or fantasy football. So let's just say he called upon and employed the services of Benjamin to help coach him on how he could sound smart at work on the fantasy football I think I'm getting that story right. But anyway, so big thank you to Sax Sax Kaplan, Dan Caskell, Benyam Michelle, and go Max. Uh, go Max. Until next time, we got go great Max. guests lined up. Wait oh, till you see wait. who we're having on next week. You won't believe it. Until then, stay happy, stay healthy, stay holy. Thank you for listening to Behind the Bima. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you next week for another peek behind the Bima.